Good morning. Uh, my name is Andrea, and this morning I will be reading the scripture passage from the book of Romans, uh, chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angel, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Be God. You may be seated. We've been in a study of Romans 8, and so we're right at the end of Romans 8. Uh, we've described it as an ascent, like climbing a tall mountain, a high mountain. We're now at the summit uh, at verse 31. So we're right at the top. Speaking about 360, you'll be able to look all around and see north, south, east, west. And, and Paul's going to get us to this place where he's going to say, based on everything that's led up from chapter 1 to here, now, what are we going to do with this? <laughs> uh, notice how Paul said, what are we going to say? He knows what we're going to say, but he's so excited. And he's trying to draw the Roman church, if you will. He's writing from Corinth. Uh, and he's so excited about to come to see them so he can preach the gospel to him. He says, what do we say about all this? Isn't this awesome? I encourage you to go read it in the message. It is so, so good uh, the way the message writes this out. But this morning as we come to this text, we're going to look at four X marks where we're going to find treasure. There are four questions here. We're going to deal with two today. The first question is, um, is God for us? Uh, and the second question is, what does he mean when he says all things? He will give you all things. So we're going to look at those two questions this morning and ask God to help us. And so to do that, Let's just take a moment and pray. So let's just quiet our hearts to listen this morning and encourage you to pray for someone next to you that they can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. Now pray that uh, for yourself. Ask the Lord to help you hear his voice today. I'll take a moment and pray that for me. Jesus, thank you that you're the good shepherd and you've said your sheep will hear your voice. 
Uh, we pray for folks that are here today that don't know that they are one of your sheep, but we pray today would be the day they'd hear you say to them, uh, I love you and I've died for you so that you might hear my voice. So would you be merciful today to all of us to let us hear your voice, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Paul's going to make this uh, incredible statement, if God is for us. Um, and so I, I want to ask you, do you know that God's for you uh, if you're a sinner? Do you know that God is for you? A sinner means that you've missed the mark, you've fallen short, you know that you're out of alignment with God's perfect purposes for your life, and you need mercy and you need forgiveness. But do you know that God is for you when you are stupid? <laughs> you know, when you do stupid stuff. Remember Forrest saying, stupid is as stupid does. Um, but if you did something really stupid, or you've done something really stupid, or you're watching somebody else do really something stupid that you know and you love, are you for them? Do you love them? Uh, so I'm going to take you back to 1993. Uh, so the reason I know that, it was our son's 13th birthday, and I took him on a mission trip with me to uh, Bavaria, to southern Germany, for a big mission retreat for an organization that I was involved in, helping start with a lot of other people. All the missionaries were there. We were sending people different parts of the world. It was a great retreat there in a beautiful part of the world. Great worship, great teaching, great encouragement. And then I got home uh, after our trip to Germany. Uh, and uh, when I was there, I got home, I got a phone call from the fellow who is now leading the organization, the mission. And he said, Clyde, are you sitting down? I go, no, should I? And he goes, yeah, you need to sit down. I go, gosh. Immediately I went, has something really tragic happened? to uh, one of uh, our missionaries or a missionary family traveling home or I was thinking about our missionaries and he just said, Clyde, I've lost all of it. And I'm thinking now, this is a dear friend and brother. We've known each other a long time. What does that mean? I've lost all of it, you know? And I, I wasn't sitting down at that point, but I did sit down at that point. So let me give you the backstory real quick. So this organization that started, I'm trying to remember the exact year, 1973, so we're over 20 years in. Um, we're right at the 20-year mark. The mission had grown, a lot is going on. The founder had died, his son was now the leader. And like a lot of new organizations, we were always fundraising, always raising money, and we were always living on a shoestring uh, to try to make the organization go. Well, while as we're doing this in the Philadelphia area, uh, there was an organization uh, that was raised up that was not by God, but was raised up called New Era Foundation. And here's what they promised. They said, if you will give us money and let us invest it for you, and here's our list of, here's our board, our endorsement, all these amazing people. You know what we're going to do? If you give us your money, we'll double it. Now, all of you are smart enough to go, that's a bad idea. I know you're thinking, don't open that door. Don't open that door. Well, it's too late. That door was open. Now, again, we were very reluctant to invest or put any of our money because we didn't have any money uh, into this foundation. But we start hearing about these Christian ministries that gave them a half million dollars. Eight weeks later, they got a million dollars. 
Uh, some of them gave $2 million, and then they got $4 million. And we're kind of looking around, and people are starting to call my friend and me and saying, hey, you guys, this is one of the most amazing things that's ever happened. God is blessing New Era Foundation. They're doubling people's money. It's like, you, don't miss out on this. So we took the bait. Uh, at the time, uh, we probably had about $600,000 in the bank. All right, so now let me tell you, this is that, um, that $600,000, most of it was missionary, missionaries' money. Okay, and so then we talked, we prayed. Now, you had to go through an elaborate interview scheme to be approved by them, and I was part of a team of people that went through the interview, and they kept saying, oh, if you meet our standard, you had to fill out all these forms, and you know, they made you feel like, man, the bar is really high, we're not sure. And so we're, you know, at this point, we're in. We've taken the bait, we're in. And so we struggle, we struggle, we wait. You got approved, and again, we give New Era $600,000 to double our money. And so we do that. Okay, now it gets even worse or more stupid. <laughs> so we get in um, and they say, hey, we're, we're really close to uh, giving you more money. But if you can give us more money, we'll double that within two weeks. Now again, all of you are thinking, how dumb is, can this be? But it, it was dumb. You know, sheep are dumb, we were dumb, it was dumb. My friend who's the head of the organization, because we had a great relationship to the bank that we did all our money with, all our missionary accounts, went to the bank and, uh, and he said, can you loan us another $600,000? So we had six hundred. dollars we doubled it, we gave New Era one point two million dollars everything we had okay now there are a lot of smart people i mean we voted on this as a board men and women all college you know a lot of you know a lot of degrees a lot of experience and we couldn't wait to get 1.2 million dollars so when uh, my friend called me after this great missionary gathering in germany he called me up and said i lost all of it the whole New Era Ponzi scheme collapsed and we lost $1.2 million. 600,000 that we had and 600,000 that we borrowed. Talk about dark, talk about hopeless, but I've never felt more stupid in my life. I was embarrassed for myself, I was embarrassed for the mission, but I was really horrified for all these friends of mine who are missionaries. We took their money, we loaned it, and we lost it. Humiliations galore, you know? Talk about humiliation. I remember just being so brokenhearted and my friend saying to me, Clyde, we gotta start raising money fast. Now, you're a potential donor and I call you and go, hey, guess what? We got this need. And we just lost $1.2 million. Would you help us out? <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I get that phone call and I'm you and I, you're calling me, I'm going, I don't know if I give to stupid people. <laughs> you know, this is really awful. This is really awful. But I have a dear friend um, that has been close to me for many years, and I called him up and I said, Brother, 
we are in deep trouble. We have made the worst mistake of worst mistakes. Will you help us? Now, the family business was really going well. He said, let me pray. I'll talk to my dad. I'll get back to you in a few days. And I thought, okay, great. Uh, and I was just hoping for a few $5,000 gift, $10,000 gift, whatever. And he called me back in two days, and I took his call. He said, Clyde, my dad and I have talked about it. We prayed about it. We're going to give your organization $100,000. $100,000. God was for us. He was for that organization. He was for his work. He was for me. And it's one of those moments in my life where I really entered in when Paul says, if God is for you, who can be against you? And so in that moment, we started a fundraising campaign. Remember the Ponzi scheme said, we're going to double your money. Within three years, we replaced all the money that we lost. And because a lot of people who'd gotten money gave it back, and there was an insurance settlement with the Prudential, who was managing all this money, um, we doubled our money within three years. Now, God doubled it in the money. Now, we weren't all saying there, woohoo, God doubled our money because we were so humbled by everything that we've been through. But I wonder this morning if, as you're here, you're just wondering, uh, is God for me? Is He really for us? Is He for Christ the King? Is He for me? Because I've done some really stupid things. Or I'm watching people that I really love do stupid things. And what shall we say? Is he for us? Now, throughout Romans, and we're just starting back in chapter 1 all the way to here, there's an objectivity that is firmly anchored in the finished work of Christ, what Jesus came to do for us, where we can know with certainty, whether we experience it or not, that it's true. And that's his whole argument. Paul's Starting from the very beginning, he's going to get to uh, Romans 8 and say, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus justifies the ungodly like you and me. He justifies us and declares us not only forgiven of all our sins, but righteous before God because he has earned for us the gift of eternal acceptance with God. And here's the key thing, though, as you read the Bible carefully, is that God takes it personally, and he is pursuing us because he wants you to feel in your hearts how much he loves you. He wants you to know the depth of his passion for you. Now, let's say we were sort of team counseling a couple uh, that I worked with recently, and it's not a couple here, so not to worry. <laughs> so you're going, oh my gosh, he's going to call us out. Um, but uh, you were in on this Zoom call well, with some people I've worked with over the years, and the husband is really beaten up and beaten down and uh, very discouraged about a number of things that are going on in his life. And I just say to him, just to start, the, I'm trying to prime the pump. Where are you? Where's your heart? I'm trying to get him from his head to his heart. And I go, tell me what you're passionate about right now. What are you passionate about? And, uh, and I wait. And he looks at his wife, like, help me out here. <laughs> you know, what am I passionate about? What do I feel passionate about? So I'm going to turn it a little bit towards you. And go, if you and I were to have coffee or go to brunch, uh, at Charles Hotel afterwards, 
and, uh, and I'd sit down to you and say, what are you passionate about? Tell me what's, what's your greatest passion. What are you passionate about right now? Now, as I was looking at this guy, I started to feel sorry for his sweet wife because he, had, he couldn't, he was struggling. <laughs> you know, so I'm thinking, his wife's thinking, are you passionate about me? It doesn't look that way because <laughs> he can't even talk about it. I mean, it's just too painful to bring up, bring it up. He has zero passion. He's just, he's beaten up, he's beaten down. No passion, okay? Now, because you're a gifted seer, listener, counselor, you kind of help me out because you realize I got nothing and you've got something and here's what you want to say and here's what you're going to say is that God is, wants you to realize that he's passionate about you in the midst of your suffering. See, God wants us to feel his love in those great moments when we achieve and life is going well, but where his love is beyond compare is when you are broken and you are stupid and you feel God's love for you. Um, it's one of the greatest joys I have in talking with people who are very broken about their stories of their lives and, they, and they're just so embarrassed to own it and say it. And I get to say to them, you know what? This doesn't make me think less of you. It makes me not only think more of you, but it makes me understand how, what you've been through, and it makes me love you more, not less. And all I'm tapping into is the gospel here. Here in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? And so where God wants to move us in this is from dread to delight, despair to devotion, he wants to build in us a confidence uh, in us that creates comfort. And here's, here's the good news of Romans 8. Jesus became who we are so that we can become who he is. That's a little, that's a little complicated, but hang in there. Jesus became who we are so that we can become who he is. That If you back up here to verse 29, it's God's plan in loving us and choosing us before the foundation of the world to make us like Jesus in every way. One of the things that happens if you study Romans carefully and you begin to let it sink into you is your heart comes alive to the truth of, I get to be like Jesus because he became like me and loved me when I was ungodly, helpless, broken, weak, his enemy. <laughs> So that I can turn around now that I've received this love, I can love people in the world that are broken and lost and homeless and helpless and enemies of God and have compassion for them because sin makes us stupid. And tell them there's a God that's for them in the midst of their misery and their brokenheartedness. Is God for us? Absolutely. And what Romans unfolds for us, it's an absolutely objective certainty, but God wants to move it from here in your head to your heart. Jonathan Edwards said, it's the longest journey you'll ever go on is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. And here's how you know you're coming alive to God is for you. You feel it. Uh, I was getting ready to have a lot of basketball, March Madness and all that, but... I was talking with one of you, one of my favorite coaches, 
um, from uh, Georgia Tech uh, many years ago when his team was not playing well and they were just dogging it. They were just phoning, you know, they, they were playing terribly. He'd walk down the sideline and he'd grab his shirt and he'd start doing this, you know, as hard as he could do it. And what he was saying is, show me your heart. <laughs> Where's your heart? You see, you have an enemy. I have an enemy. We have an enemy who's on a mission, a brutal assault to steal your heart, to crush your heart. And he has got the most amazing Ponzi scheme ever. The enemy wants to tempt you and cause you to go, well, give me this and give me that and I'm going to give you this. Yes, you're a Christian, but if you do this, I'll give you this. Now again, I'm being somewhat simplistic here, but we're all under assault because we have an enemy who wants to steal and rob and kill and destroy us. So we don't have a heart. <laughs> you know, we're, we're like the tin man. We don't have a heart. He is committed to assaulting your heart to say, is God for you? I don't think so. <laughs> Does God really love you as much as he says? I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of doubts. I don't know. Ponzi scheme that you can be tricked into and you might be involved in it way in over anything you could ever hope. Jesus has paid the way for you to not be a victim of that scheme and to come alive again today to his love for you. Now, how do we know that God's for us? This is the second question is that he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also graciously give us all things? Now, here's the key thing I want you to see. Here's the promise in Romans 8, 32. Jesus went to the cross for us. You know, I love the hymn, Have you felt the, his na the nails in your hands? He went to the cross and suffered and died for us so that he might, through his death and resurrection, give you all things. None of you are bereft of all that God has. Remember the father and the story of the two sons? The older brother is just angry. He's ticked. He's been ripped off. His younger brother took everything from him. And he's feeling so stupid now that his father's throwing a party for the prodigal son. And his father's pleading with him and says, Son, come and join the party because all that I have is yours. Are you sitting there feeling sorry for yourself and for what has been done to you and you're missing out on the truth that Jesus has given you all things? It's right here. God, who did not spare his own son, gave us his best and greatest gift. Would he now withhold from you anything that you need to be the person that God's redeemed you to be, Christ the King, to be the church that God has... God is ready to give us all things so that we would look a lot more like Jesus in the way we love people, the way we treat people, the way we respond to people. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's right here, all things, so that we would understand our calling to become like the Son. Is there better news than that today? that God is for you, God is for me, God is for us, and that he has promised to give us all things 
So friend, whatever you're going through today, whatever you brought into church, whatever burden or sense of self-loathing that you're carrying, Jesus has paid for that in a way that you don't have to walk out of here a prisoner to your unbelief, your doubts, your fears, but a prisoner of his love. Zechariah says that when you begin to understand God's redemptive purposes, you become a prisoner of hope, God's hope for you. It's not a prison prison, it's a place of freedom, but to feel like I have been captured and I want to stay right here and I'm going to build my life around the hope. Now listen to the blessing that's at the end of Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, because Jesus' desire is for you to know and to feel the Father's love for you, so that you live a life of doxological hope. Not simply I have hope, but let's dance together, let's sing together, let's worship together. Be ye glad, be ye glad. Every debt that you ever had has been paid up in full by the grace of the Lord. Let's dance. <laughs> let's celebrate. Let's get excited. Let's rejoice at what God has promised to do and enter into that so that we are people, now notice what Paul says, now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace in believing so that you might have abundant, abounding hope. Oh, there's such a relief to know that even though I'm so stupid and I give in to Ponzi schemes all the time, is that Jesus says, come to the good way, for I am the way. So that you might be set free to answer this question. Is God for you? Absolutely. Has he given you his best gift? He did not spare Jesus, but gave him for you, that through him you would get all things, all things necessary to live this side of heaven with doxological hope. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you this morning for the hope of the gospel that draws us now to the table. And we pray, Jesus, as we come, that you would just help us to hear the truth, that you are our wisdom, even though we're stupid and people are doing stupid things around us. You are our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our hope. So Jesus, again, show us mercy, uh, we pray. Amen.